I told you it was getting apocalyptic. I told you. Um, so I don't know. Um, I know people, the, the poor unfortunate souls who have to work with me here at Good Shepherd have to endure this, but I don't know how many of you guys are aware how big of a Tampa Bay Buccaneers fan I am. I apologize to anyone who's had to listen to me talk about it. But don't worry, you're not the first. I've been saying it for years to anyone who will listen, how it's always Super Bowl season for the Bucs. It's just around the corner, despite how terrible they are as a team sometimes. Um, I grew up about an hour south of the stadium. Um, when I was in high school and college, I even rebroadcast the, video, the, the, the Sunday games on our local radio station. So I'd get to listen to Gene Deckerhoff, and I'd have like the script and know that like when Gene says this, I got to switch over to a local commercial break. And I know I have, if he says this, it's only this amount of time. So I really felt like I was on the team, kind of. <laughs> kind of, you know. So I followed it pretty closely, and people just wouldn't hear the end of it. Um, but I do know you Bengals fans will understand the pain of being a fan of a team like the Bucs. Um, not quite as much. Two Super Bowls for the Bucs, thank you very much. But um, you know what it's like when a team just stinks out loud, you know? Just awful, but you're still a fan. I remember when we did go to the Super Bowl the first time I was in high school, I swear I like floated into work. Like, I told y'all. I told you. Many people offered to like place a bet beforehand. I'm like, no, I can't bet. That'll guarantee they lose. Like, I can't do it. Um, so uh, the Bucks then recently won a Super Bowl, and now don't worry, we're back to our tradition of stinking out loud. We have a losing record. All is right with the world. Um, but I'll tell you, uh, when this happens, when they stink, I can't deny the fact that I'm like, can't we go back to winning? I really liked that. That was a whole lot of fun. Can't we go back? I want to go back. It's weird. It's like somehow my identity is wrapped up in the success or failure of a bunch of millionaires playing a child's game. Why do I care? But I do. I just do. They stink and my poor family has to deal with, I can't do this. I can't watch these people. It hurts me. It's ridiculous. But then I remember, oh, remember that Super Bowl? Woo! What a year that was. <laughs> and I stay with it, you know. Um, the disciples today in our story are having a Super Bowl moment. You're like, this turned quick. Um, no, I want you to think about this story starts with the disciples walking through Jerusalem. They're in like the city. They're in the heart of their like people, the, the, the capital. This is where everything happens. This is where the great sacrifices are made. This is where their God dwells. And they are having a Super Bowl moment. They're like, Jesus, look at the banners. Oh, look at the trappings, the stones. Look at this. If you go to Jerusalem now, you can take tours um, underneath that wall and see how big these stones were, how great these stones were, how you can imagine them adorned in tapestries and flowers and all these things that are talked about, great stones. You could drag your hand along the wall for yards without reaching a seam. They're still just kind of overwhelming in their size. And you imagine the feelings of like stability achievement that would come from being in their presence. So the disciples are looking at these adornments, imagining this and going, look at how great our temple is. It's like me if I went to like the Buccaneers like front office place. I'm like, look at the trophy, guys. We did it. I had nothing to do with it. 
But they're doing the same thing. They're like, look at us. They didn't build this temple, but they're looking at this, which is a sign of their own identity. This is us. This is where our God dwells. This is where not their God, the Roman God. No, this is our God. Big stones, biggest stones, best stones. This is where our team resides. This is where our achievements took place. This is where our holiest moments happened. This is it. This is the place we are the champions, woo! And Jesus is like, perspective, folks. Something changes. They're very excited about this. There is a lot of pride in themselves and being a part of this great nation. What this is is a sign of their success. This is a reward for their faithfulness. Pride. And a bit of their identity, a big part of their identity is in this. I think we have a lot of those ourselves. For me, of course, it's the bucks. Um, but there are other things that we kind of walk around and say, this is what I'm about. This is why my love of this thing. This is my identity. This is how I'm justified. These are my achievements. We have many of them that we are proud of. Um, does anyone have, uh, this, is, this might be embarrassing for you, so you don't have to hold your hand. Anyone still hold like a high school track record or something in here? If you do, you know you hold it. You know you still got it, you know? It's a point of pride. You don't have to tell me. Close, right? Yes, right? You know you got it. It's an achievement. It's awesome. Or you did something. Maybe it was a great achievement at work. Um, maybe you've won a prestigious award, and you think about how that is a really, what a shiny example of, of like what our capacity is. Or getting a stellar promotion. Careers are a really big symbol of our identity. They carry a lot of weight especially if you're in one of those careers where you've sacrificed or dedicated a lot of time to your education, maybe to a trade. Sacrifices made to get to this position where you are, the skill you possess. It's a huge part of many of our identities. Another one I would say uh, are your families. People would say, my family is really a big part of my identity. A lot of achievement found in like your children, a lot of pride we have in our children. Honestly, it seems like my whole identity lately is all about my kids. I love you two very much, but you guys are busy. And that means we're driving them around and making sure they get to their things they do. It's all a lot of concern about, you know, are, are, we, are we doing this right? Are we doing this well? The other night, Emily and I took a walk through um, Summit Park with just the dog while the kids were at their activities. And we we're like, remember when we could just do this? I barely remember a time before the children, right? My whole identity is wrapped in this. And that's, that's great. That's beautiful. That's what you do, right? That's your family. Um, but all of these things are points of pride. They're symbols of our identity. But the thing about all of these I've just listed is we'd be lying to ourselves if we didn't say that all of these things are not truly permanent. And by that, I mean like stay the same forever. You'll always be a parent, right? But uh, any parent here going through a child going off to college... Little different around there, isn't it? Things have changed with your identity now. I do, what? Okay, I'm still a parent, but things have changed. Um, careers. Uh, anybody going through retirement currently, getting into the swing of that thing? That can be a little challenging. Who are you now, apart from this work, a part of these these things you've achieved? There's always those movies or stories about somebody going back to a place where they were a real big deal in their workplace, and a few years after retirement, they're like, who are all these people working here? 
And the people there are like, who are you? And they're like, me, who am I? I built this place, man. We have this, this is what we do. They're not permanent. We recognize this and uh, what I think I'll call these things that I'm describing is I will call all these things temples. They are big, they tell uh, many stories, they give us pride. They're made of big stones, you know? Because in their time, when we were in them, when we carried that identity, we could have a hard time trying to imagine them not existing. You know, it, I don't recall what it was like before children. The idea of there will be a reality where they are off at college or living in their own homes. I'm like, blah, blah, blah. I don't know who I am apart from this. I want for us a moment to think about all those temples and how big they are. And remember that Jesus is telling the disciples, as big as they are, and as much as they're a part of your identity, they won't always be there. They will fade away. And he reminds the disciples, I know these stones are impressive, the traditions, the trappings, but there will come a time where not one stone will stand on another. And the disciples are alarmed. (laughs) Because who wouldn't be? Who are we as people of faith if not for our temple, they're thinking, their holy city, all their history, all their achievements, all their sacrifices? Who could possibly take this dwelling place of God and do anything to it? How can this not be what it's always been? And Jesus is saying, oh, guys, it's not just the temple. It's everything. It's everything. We will lose at times. We will suffer at times. There will be wars. There will be famines. There will be plagues. There will be challenge. And the disciples are probably like, why? You're Jesus. You're the next David. You're, it's supposed to be all up from here, bud. All good things. Yeah, buddy, J-man, we know what you're supposed to do. And this is all true, but Jesus knows the manner through which this is going to take place and is preparing them for a way that we refer to as the kingdom. It's going to be revealed through him dying a terrible death. As he reminds them, the kingdom is a promise. And that this promise isn't going to break into the world pain-free. Change is not free of challenge. Resurrection only happens to dead things. Ooh. That's a hard one to remember when we talk about Easter. It only happens to dead things. It's a transformation. It's a change. I mean, think of what Jesus has tasked the disciples with. He said, you will be peacemakers. Does that sound like we will live in a world free of conflict? No, peacemaker's work literally exists only in the midst of conflict. He says, you'll wipe away tears. You'll mourn with those who mourn. Does that mean people will never suffer again? No, it kind of guarantees that's going to happen, and we will be people who comfort those who mourn. It's really wild that we see this Jesus who's supposed to tidy everything up, but seems that it feels like it's just being muddied. Our temples, our careers, our families, our achievements, quite literally, our churches, our homes, buildings, and structures, as important as these things are to our identity, they will bring us to times of mourning. There will come a time when all those things change, fade away, and Jesus is reminding them, this is not the end, that's just part of an end that leads to an unveiling. 
apocalyptic literature. I think we get apocalyptic mixed up with like the Hollywood understanding of like an apocalypse movie. Apocalyptic, as I think Pastor Alice has said before, is, a, is really a word for unveiling, revealing something. And that's what's happening. Apocalyptic literature like this is about the process, the pain that comes from growing and changing. What Jesus is getting at is that as the world changes, as his promises are revealed, the people of faith are called to remember, not temples, but their true foundation, their immovable identities, their immovable realities. All of us are facing transitions. Some are in the midst of them. Some will face them later. Our congregation is in the midst of a transition. We will be, God willing, welcoming a new leader into this place. In the future, it will come with change. It will be different. For many of us, it could come with anxieties. It's actively doing that now. (laughs) Feelings of loss. Feelings of what if these stones move? What if these things I hold to be so central aren't central? Feelings. Maybe though it's feelings of great expectation. But what Jesus is getting at is regardless of what comes, what do you as people of faith, what are we to hang our hope on? Is it a system? Is it a structure? Is it a building? Is it a preference or a trophy? Is it our health? Is it our own bodies? Is it our skills? Is it past achievements? Because Jesus would invite you to remember that temples go away. But true temple, true temple is not any of these things. It's a hope. It's a hope for the kingdom of God. It's a promise that something is still unveiling, still breaking through, still changing the world, and it's everything we are to hang our hats on. If you go through the Bible and read all of Jesus' teachings, you'll find Jesus didn't give any plans for how to build a church building. You'll find Jesus didn't give specific styles and preferences of ritual, worship, or observances. Jesus didn't give us an itemized church budget outline for us to plan how we're going to do Jesus church together. What he gave us was a glimpse of the kingdom of God. And the glimpses he gave us were things like fruit trees, something about to yield fruit. What he gave us was fields in need of tending. What he gave us was vines in need of caring for. He gave us no clever mission statements. He gave us a commission. He gave us no stones. He gave us prayers of promise. He didn't give us a workbook or script to justify ourselves, it says. No, I'll give you the spirit. I'll give you my words. I'll give you my teachings and you will proclaim them. I'll give you something that'll move you towards a deeper obedience in loving God and in what's the second most important thing? Loving your neighbor. He gives us a hope. A hope most clearly represented as people in this place in the resurrection. That when the tomb is emptied, we can take courage and we can begin to untether ourselves in the light of that empty tomb from those temples and identities that have bound us and instead bind ourselves to a hope, a promise, a glimpse, an assurance that whatever comes, one thing is certain. What is that one thing we put our hope in? That this is not the end. It may include an end, but in the light of Christ's death and resurrection, it's not an end really. 
just an unveiling. It's a new future where even death has lost its sting. So in this season, Good Shepherd, as we are in transition, I hope that you are hoping as well for how God is going to unveil God's promises and peace, restoration to the world through us. Because one thing is clear, the worst thing that could possibly happen in the midst of all anxieties, the worst thing, it's not the last thing. And for that I say, thanks be to God. Amen.